0: Welcome to Real Vision's Crypto Unwrapped. I'm Ash Bennington. Today, we're doing a special update show during this holiday week to make sure all of our Real Vision subscribers stay in the loop with the smartest analysis during this turbulent Bitcoin market. We've got a dream team here to talk about this, Jim Bianco of Bianco Research and Weston Nakamura from Real Vision. Welcome, guys. So let me just set the stage here on price action. On November 10th, Bitcoin hit an all time high of over 68,500. That's 50 days ago. Since then, it's not been pretty. Bitcoin dropped to under 46,000 on December 4th, I believe. We saw a max drawdown peak to trough of around 30%. We've recovered a bit since then, and we're trading now at around 47,700 here on Thursday, December 30th at about 2 p.m. Eastern Time. So here's what's already been reported. Uh, we've got just shy of 130,000 options contracts, uh, 129,800 to be exact, reaching expiry on 31 December 2021. That's tomorrow, Friday, New Year's Eve, end of the year. And that represents more than $6 billion in notional exposure to Bitcoin. So here's the question What's going on? Is it material? Is it a tempest in a teapot? We're going to break it all down, unpack it, and hash it out in layman's terms. First, over to you, Jim. Jim, what's going on in your view? Obviously, it's been an ugly December.
1: Yeah, first, Ash, good morning. Uh, It has been an ugly December. But if you want to draw a bigger picture, I think this is part of the institutional adoption that we've seen in cryptos all year. There's a lot of institutional players in this market. The most important time frame for an institutional player is the calendar year. So their marks get set tomorrow. A lot of them are positioning themselves because they have to report their portfolios tomorrow, um, an audited portfolio of what their positions are. And the, the belief is, is that they've probably been aggressively playing in these markets and they're pairing back their positions a little bit ahead of year end so they can report their positions. And then if that's true. Hopefully, they'll return to the market in January. So I think when you look at year-end movements like this, first thing you have to think about is the, the institutional adoption of a market, whether you're talking about traditional stocks or, in this case, cryptos, and is that forcing them to do some kind of action? And I think the answer here is yes, and they're probably pulling back a little bit.
0: Weston, over to you, Jim making some points that you've echoed many times before about year-end portfolio balancing management. What's your take on what's going on? How significant is it? And what are you thinking right now?
2: Yeah, uh, I, uh, I couldn't agree more uh, with Jim, especially um, uh, and Ether especially are getting more and more institutional. Um, and that means, just like Jim says, not just end of year, but end of month, rebalancing, things like that you know, the, the price action is going to just become more and more like any other institutional uh, product, be it, you know, commodity futures, be it, you know, stock uh, stock portfolio, whatever it may be. Um, and then also in terms of market mechanics, things like listed derivatives, OTC derivatives, options, expiry, things like that. Uh, with regards to the um, $6 billion notional in options that's, you know, set to expire um, at the end of I guess today for, for me, um, you know, tomorrow for you guys, basically that isn't really, uh, I, I don't think that's an event per se. Um, you know, you're talking about 6 billion Notional on a, you know, 1 trillion um, AUM or 1 trillion market cap um, asset. Granted, not all 1 trillion is trading at all times. I understand that. But at the end of the day, we're heading that, you know, then into January 1st and you're going to get reallocations and you're going to get, you know, um you know, inflows mixed with that, and so it's very tough to discern what's due to sort of this op- options and, like, this, this uh, delta hedging activity roll off and all that, um, and, and what's not. So I think that this particular options expiry isn't really anything uh, material. Yeah. You know, so if well,
0: I, to if I, exactly that point, let's take a look at some uh, images here uh, that we were talking about before we went on, just to give people a context of how significant uh, the open interest right now is by expiry. Uh, this is based on some original reporting that came out of CoinDesk, based on data uh, coming from SKU. What you're looking at right there, that 31 December 2021 expiry, 129,800 contracts. Obviously, you can see that compared uh, to the other expiry dates, it's pretty significant to your point uh, and to Jim's point as well. Uh, Moreover, I want you to take a look at a chart that we were talking about earlier. This is the uh, Bitcoin price action 12 months. Uh, You can see that red uh, oval on the right that I've circled there. Uh, That's basically this sell off that we're looking at. So obviously uh, putting this into a bit of a context relative. Uh, to the overall price action on the year seems relatively, uh, maybe muted might be the right word for it, Uh, not something that is really significant, uh, it looks like when you look at the broader price action. But let me throw back to Jim. Uh, Jim, what are your thoughts about this? Pick up on what Weston said, uh, and give us a little bit of a sense of how you're thinking about it.
1: Yeah. You know, The first thing is, when you look at the chart of Bitcoin or or any of the major uh, uh, tokens, we're back at the same levels we were at May. So the market, you know, we're going to hear a lot of narrative about that, you know, ETH is up 400% for the year. Bitcoin's up 60 odd percent for the year. A lot of that happened in January and, you know, um, maybe be bleeding into February a little bit. And it's pretty much been sideways action ever since. As far as the options trading go, let me diverge a little bit and talk about ETH. Good metric you can look at is gas fees and gas fees are down a lot. Now, part of that is. Because the NFT uh, has, uh, boom has cooled off a lot of minting of NFTs in the last couple of weeks. But part of that is because the options and futures trading, and again, for those, you know, just to be clear, we're not talking about listed CME options of futures trading. We're talking about on listed exchanges and some decentralized exchanges um, as well to like perpetual. That trading in those options and futures was much larger in the May crash that we had in crypto. When we had on May 19th, where Bitcoin was down 27% in one day, and from peak to trough sold off 50% in total. So yes, this one is a little bit large, but it still is dwarfing what we saw last May. So bottom line is, you're seeing a lot of consolidation in this market for the last seven or eight months um, with with a big chop in it. And for those that are in the traditional financial world, remember that this instrument or this space is 10 times as volatile as like the S&P. We've had, and I counted it up right before we had this. We've had in ETH, we've had 37 days this year that it sold off at least 5% during that day, 37. So that's wow. about one every 10 days or so. I know that in the traditional world, whenever they see a 5% sell off, they get themselves all worked up about it. Well, you're gonna get yourself all worked up every other week. If you're not, if you don't understand the volatility in this
0: space, well, that's an excellent point, Jim. Uh, and talking about getting yourself worked up, take a listen to this. I'm just looking at a Bloomberg terminal here. Uh, this is a different time horizons. Bitcoin uh, percent change. One day, we're up one percent. Week to date, minus six point three percent. Month to date, minus sixteen point five percent. One year. Plus 65%. You know, it gives you a sense of just how volatile this asset class is when you look at it across different time horizons and you see that kind of movement in the price.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And you have to kind of get used to that. And you can't get yourself that worked up. And, you know, by the way, we're talking about Bitcoin. You really want to start trafficking into some of the altcoins and some of the meme coins. You know, you know, you might the same thing might be said about a 30 or 40% move as opposed to a five or t- move uh, as well, too. That's just the nature of this beast is this tremendous volatility. And that's why a lot of people that play in this space don't get worked up about it because they think that this volatility eventually gives way to like a 10x move in a couple of weeks. And there's plenty of examples of that happening. Um, So got to dial in these expectations when you're talking about the crypto space. It is a very volatile space and you're going to get wild moves like this.
0: Yeah. Talking about volatility and how you look at this, uh, Weston, I know you and I were geeking out a little bit earlier in the day, uh, talking about some FX comparisons uh, between emerging market FX, uh, as well as looking at Bitcoin in different bases. Uh, Give us a sense of how you're thinking about that right now.
2: Yeah, I, I wouldn't say emerging markets. I would say one in particular idiosyncratic case, which would be Turkey and their wonderful Lira. So, I did a, um, a, a video on this, or uh, a, a few of them. Um, but what I said in my video was so, Andrew Bailey uh, earlier this year, he was, you know, uh, Bank of England, uh, Governor of Bank of England, he basically said um, when he was talking about El Salvador uh, having adopted Bitcoin as their you know, national currency, saying, like, basically, that's a bad idea because um, he thinks that the volatility of it doesn't make it suitable for. Things like, you know, especially like payments and, and regular use. Well, if Bitcoin is a 70 vol instrument, the Turkish lira at one point uh, last week with this 50% sort of whipsaw move in, in 30 hours um, almost doubled the realized volatility of Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin is too volatile for um, El Salvador or for any country, what does that make the lira that's, that's you know... Forty vault points higher. So, um, and the reason I bring up the lira is because uh, there actually is a pretty clear um, sort of correlation and and causation, I believe, uh, with the lira and with the sort of sell off in Bitcoin that we saw um, towards the end of the year. Um, you have the glue, basically, is is levered Japanese retail. Uh, Japan Japanese retail is a significant player in uh, being long the Turkish lira. Because of you know nominal yield spreads at you know 20% or more, um, very small initial margin, th- things like that, and um, so they're they're levered along the lira. They're they're also long Bitcoin, and then when you get a margin call, you liquidate you know your whatever other assets you have, such as Bitcoin, uh, in order to to meet those margin calls. And so that's why you see this precipitous drop off in both the lira and Bitcoin, uh, sort of simultaneously. Um, and you see kind of almost a tick for tick rebound, and a lot of that is not just the the, the actual retail activity itself, but it's a lot of these sort of uh, systematic flows, ARBs, um, you know, high frequency uh, that are trying that are essentially front running um, the the Japan retail flow in anticipation. Sometimes not just in only in anticipation, but um, kind of making it self fulfilling, you know, by creating the momentum that makes, that, that triggers, you know, the Japan retail to uh, flow to, um, you know, to, to exist in the first place and and to follow up. Um, so if you if you just keep an eye on the Lira, especially over the last few days, uh, or the last week or so, um, you'll see that, um, you know, there is a, a pretty close sort of, you know, almost tick for tick um, uh, movements and price action and behavior. And I believe that they are very much directly related. Hey Weston, while we're
0: on uh, Japan, tell us a little bit about your view of BTC JPY and why you look at that as a benchmark
2: instead of BTC USD. I, I wouldn't say instead of my my point that I always make to everybody is that Bitcoin is not an American asset. So, like I know that everyone looks at it as you know BTC USD and quotes it at like you know uh, 50,000 whatever it is, but it, it's it's. This is the most, you know, no, this is the most non you know, uh specific to a country or currency um asset that's ever existed, right? This BTC JPY, BDC T R Y, BTC BRL, whatever it may be. Um so people have to get into the habit of not looking at it just in terms of BTC USC, because that's what that's where you get these kind of very um like abstract sort of like, yeah, bounced off the 42,182 resistance or- <laughs> What do you what are you' talking about? So if you actually look at it from uh, BBC JPY level, makes your life a lot easier. Uh, Bitcoin actually trades um, very, very uh, obediently to round levels in BTCJPY. JPY. So BTCJPY JPY, uh, six million that just broke the last one and stopped at five million, um you know, five and a half million. so the, like these hundred thousand yen increments, and especially at the round levels, that's where you see these sharp moves, you know, um, Support, resistance, and all that, um, and it's certainly not from BDC USD fifty two thousand one hundred forty two and forty six cents.
1: <laughs> you know, Ash, if I could underscore that, I, there's a there's a fallacy when you talk to Americans, especially when you talk to traditional financial people. Oh, that those altcoins are the Bitcoin's going to sell off fifty percent, and it's going to screw all those Gen Zs. Well, first of all, it sells off fifty percent a couple of times every year. Second of all. They think that everybody that's playing in this space is either at a a Starbucks in San Francisco or at a Starbucks in New York City. If you look at chain analysis, they look at uh, crypto adoption by country. There's only one developed country in the top 20 right now, and that's the United States at nine. It's largely a lot of of developing countries. It's a lot of Asian countries. Asia is really where all the action is. So unless you want to talk about we're going to really stick it to everybody in Seoul – or we're gonna stick it to everybody in Indonesia. You gotta understand that this is a global market. And Winston, being in, in, in Japan is a lot closer to the center of who trades this stuff than I am in the middle of the United States. And I think that that's an idea that's lost upon a lot of Americans. We tend to be very American-centric, think that the whole world revolves around us. But in this case, in crypto, it, it really does start in Asia. That's really where the heaviest adoption is. You can even see it overnight. Go ahead and watch the action in these things, you know, in U.S. terms, you know, at 9, 10, 11 p.m. or midnight. And you'll see a lot more action in those than you would see at noon because of all of the Asian players that are in this market.
0: Yes, such important points from uh, both of you about this. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely a totally globalized market. Let me just pivot back here uh, because I wanted to cover a little bit more of what's coming out on the derivatives front, on the options front. Uh, Original reporting from Coindesk uh, about two days ago coming out, talking about uh, $300 million in liquidations, uh, nearly 80% of which were on the long position side uh, in the futures contracts. Uh, Weston, any thoughts about that? How do you think about it? How do you contextualize it? And is it significant in your view when you you start reading numbers like that relative to the overall market capitalization of this asset. Uh,
2: that, that particular statistic, not really. Um, so, I mean, to, to also just, just to touch back on what what uh, Jim had said. Um, I mean, he's absolutely right. Like, so, like even see the CME contracts on um, futures on on Bitcoin. Yeah, CME is in Chicago where Jim is, uh, but forty percent of CME um, Bitcoin. Uh, volume comes from outside the United States. Um, So, you know, this is, again, it's not a, even the US listed um, futures product is not a US product, this is a a global uh, asset class. Um, In terms of, you know, what you were saying, like in terms of liquidations, so basically I think that in a kind of a Q4 sort of wrap up, what you saw was the um, introduction of these Bitcoin um, futures back ETFs, BITO, um, you know, BTD, uh, I forgot what the, the ticker for the other one was, the, the Valkyrie one. Uh, but basically, you know, these they, they don't hold spot Bitcoin, they hold CME uh, minis and, uh, you know, CME regular um, Bitcoin futures. And so you saw this like huge open interest spike in um, CME futures coinciding in, in October, coinciding with uh, these, you know, these, these ETF products being, being launched. Once that kind of died away, you saw futures volume and open interest drop, so Bitcoin uh, price action drop as well. And so what you're seeing is this this like steady decline since you know mid to end of October, after that sort of initial rush in, um, and, and that rush in was not really for Bitcoin demand necessarily. That was more so for um, you know options being traded on Bito itself. So this is basically a derivative of a derivative. On top of an ETF, um, and and dealers having to to hedge their exposure, um, and needing to open um, you know more more shares um, or, or or create more shares of the ETF to do so, which means more open interest in uh, the underlying uh, futures contract, and so on and so forth. Either way, what my my point is that you had this this flood in from this ETF product that uh, basically peaked out at, towards the end of October, and then just been on kind of a decline since then and then you have year-end profit taking you have you know technical um you know support and resistance on btc jpy things like that and then you have some options uh on the underlying itself and and that's just been kind of snowballing on top of each other um so so like uh, a a one day liquidation or one week like liquidation of, of however many you know hundreds of millions is just part of a bigger story of that kind of artificial jump up from the uh, launch of these ETF products,
0: a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside a derivative. Jim, I saw you nodding there. Jump in.
1: Yeah, I was. I was just going to say, what we've been talking about this whole conversation is welcome to institutional adoption. And you know, my rant about this is, is, and thank you, Weston, for giving me the idea. Satoshi, you just created a five x S and P ETF. Is what you've done that I can look at the mar- I can look at the financial markets and look at the S&P and I could look at the currency markets and I could pretty much guess which way the crypto markets are going up or down. Now ideally if we're building a new financial system we would want them zero correlated to the traditional markets, but as we get this institutional adoption, things like what's happening in Turkey, what the stock market's doing, Fed policy, the state of inflation Matters to these markets as much as it matters to the the other markets. And like I've said, at times I get frustrated and I say, well, you know, why am I playing in this space? I could just go buy triple levered ETFs in a in a margin account. And I could pretty much accomplish the same thing that I do when I buy cryptos. So hopefully at some point they will break free and become kind of, you know, march to their own drummer. That's not going to happen anytime soon. But in the long run, if you think we're creating a new currency, Or a new financial system it has to it just can't otherwise it's just part of the same old system and that's not good so a lot of this stuff that's happening in the financial world does matter and you have to take that into account that essentially if you're thinking you're going to protect yourself by being in cryptos if because the stock market might crash or interest rates might soar or the dollar might do this or that guess again It'll probably impact uh, uh, cryptos just as much as it impacts the traditional markets.
0: I love closing out the year on a cynical note with a tinge of optimism. We've got about uh, one minute left, thirty seconds from each of you. Weston,
2: final thoughts as we close out the year here on crypto. Yeah, I was going to say, Jim, if you want an uncorrelated asset, there's something called gold. Take a look at that. Uh, um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, my <laughs> you had a pr- my. Uh, yeah, it's yeah.
1: uncorrelated. It's uncorrelated because it doesn't do anything, exactly. and that's not what everybody wants.
2: Yeah. So if you want something that doesn't correlate with the S and P, is something yeah. look up uh, gold gold futures? Is right right in your backyard. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. So my 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 final thought is basically, um, I, if you look back at twenty twenty one, it's actually been pretty incredible. But uh, you really do have to look. Uh, it is important to look at you know um, things like. Uh, um, uh glass note and, and so on and so forth. But you do have to look cross-asset because it is becoming more and more institutionalized. You have to look at other currencies. You have to look at um what meme stocks are doing. You have to look at the you know the the, the options like activity on that. You have to look at you know just the p in general or you know the price action on the, is it risk on or risk off or whatever it may be. You have to pay attention to it. Like it's there's a narrative about how it's not, you know, um uh, cor- there's no correlation, or, or or it's not, you know, it's it's decorrelated from the, it's it's separate from the system, and th- but that's just a story. the The fact of the matter is that it's it, everyone is is it's glued together because we all cross hold these assets together. And if you get a margin call, or if you need liquidity, you're gonna sell things. Uh, and yeah. and if you have extra liquidity, you're gonna buy things. And so uh, my my point is that uh, 2021 was a, you know, I mean, you just saw asset after asset just kind of you know stepping into the spotlight to like what's going to be correlated with Bitcoin and what's what's not and kind of in and out and that's going to just going to uh, continue so just keep an eye cross asset this is why you have to understand both TradFi and the DeFi markets uh simultaneously Jim that's the perfect setup to you to close it out
1: yeah 21 was a year of incredible innovation and adoption look 365 days ago nobody was talking about NFTs and now you know NFTs are the next big thing We were still basking in the glory of DeFi summer in 2020. We're already on the DeFi 2.0 as well too. Uh, Alt layer, you know, alternate uh, level layer one chains like Solana um, in the West, they were bit players a year ago. Now they're dominant players right now. I expect you're gonna see more of the same in 22. And I think the big event coming in 22 should be early on, maybe at the end of the first quarter. And that's going to be one Ethereum pulls off the herculean effort of going from proof of stake. Um, um, I'm sorry, proof of work to proof of stake. And once they get that done and they finish off with the merge so that everybody's on um, proof of stake, I think that's going to be the bull event of the first half of 22. I think in my mind, all the rc 20 tokens, all the ERC-1155 NFTs are all being held back somewhat. Because this is an incredible high stakes game they're playing here. It needs to be done by going to proof of stake. This is a half a trillion dollar asset. And if there's any kind of a problem with it, it's going to have significant ramifications around everything. If they pull it off, I think it really opens it up. You know, the the traditional financial world will have a new, new look at Ethereum. It's proof of stake now. The whole idea about this energy thing with ESG makes everybody start looking at Ethereum. And so a lot of stuff will change. So hopefully we can get through, you know, to proof of stake in the merge. And that can really open everything up. The other buzzword we look at is they're going to move on to sharding after that, which is going to hopefully increase the throughput and help lower transaction costs or gas fees as well, too. So hopefully one year from today. Proof-of-stake is well in the rearview mirror. It was a success. Sharding probably won't be ready in a year, but we'll be be where we are right now at Proof-of-Stake. We'll be talking about it coming, and we'll be talking about this idea of massive scaling of of Ethereum, lowering the gas fees, unleashing a lot more of its potential. Because right now, I think its potential is being choked by two things, high transaction costs or gas fees. And the other one is this uncertainty about this major event coming maybe three months away, which Hmm. is the merge with Proof of Stake.
0: Jim Weston, a great conversation. I'm glad we got to do this here uh, at the end of the year. Thank you both for joining us. Happy holidays to both of you. And thank you, everyone, for watching Real Vision in 2021. I think you just got a preview of everything that we're going to be hearing about on Real Vision crypto in 2022. Thanks again for watching.